Good afternoon, and welcome to the Chill Will Potluck Show on Hawk Radio. I'm your host, Chill Will. want to wish everybody a great and glorious afternoon and want to hope your hump day is going on, going on without a hitch. Well, on today's topics, we're going to delve in and discuss when should we return to normal and open the economy. We're also going to discuss uh, the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, and can Joe be President Trump and become the next president of the United States? We're also going to get into the crisis in nursing homes and the nursing home facilities and try to see what can be done. All this and more coming up next on the Chill Wheel Potluck Show.
Welcome back to the Chill Will Pock Luck Show on Hawk Radio. And that was the beautiful Miss Sunila Williams with My King. So, in our new norm with COVID-19, we are questioning when to open things back up. Now, Georgia plans to open things back up as soon as Friday. And I believe that could be a costly mistake. The state of Georgia has not seen a a substantial reduction of cases for a two-week period as recommended by the CDC. So they are going to just allow businesses start to open back up um, businesses such as nail salons, barbershops. I think restaurants as well will start to open back up. And I am of the mindset that I think that it is too soon. Um, also, other states that are looking to follow suit are South Carolina and Florida. So the governor of Florida, um, DeSant- uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, has already um, opened back up some of the beaches or said it was OK for some of the beaches to open back up. So we saw what happened in Jacksonville where the intent was to just open it up for people to exercise, where you had flocks of people not practicing social distancing, just enjoying the beach. Some were in the water swimming, some were just out there hanging out, um, not practicing social distancing at all, not being socially responsible at all. So my problem with this is we could have a tip, uh, a potential resurgence of cases um, of this virus. And so in my eyes, that is not being responsible at all. And like I said in my previous, uh, my last week's podcast, is that people, we have a, you know, we have good intentions, but it's just, you know, it just doesn't make sense to do this because we're human. And just like you saw people who flock to the beaches and stuff. You're going to see people who are so happy and excited to try to get back to some sort of normalcy that the social distancing and everything is just going to be is going to go by the wayside. And it's going to be for not is I don't understand it. I really don't Um, not only have these states. The CDC recommends that 
for a two-week period, you have a steady decline of cases, which no state, and I repeat, no state has reached that threshold as of yet. So you mean to tell me that you have not had a two-week period of declined or reduction of cases and yet you're willing to go ahead and risk it and open up the economy and for what is it to make money i mean i understand you know people are hurting you know we you know they're you know trying to figure out how to survive you know, this, that, and the third. But I'm, I'm saying there's got to be a better option out there. there. There has to be something else rather than making this this haste to open things back up. And I really think we're doing it prematurely. And I'm just hoping that we'll be able to get away with it. But... There's that always that what if. That what if. Not to mention that, okay, we're just now, the hospitals are just now being able to have enough uh, equipment and stuff to help the people that are there now. And if we get into a situation to where now there's a research in this thing, we're going to be back to square one. We're going to be back to overcrowding, back to not enough supplies to handle the demand of the people who are coming in with, you know, being sick. And so I would say just just wait. Wait, wait, wait. At least I would say even before we were ready to rush back, um, let's let's get a steady supply of tests. Okay, so that maybe in the first initial phase that people are tested. And if you have a negative test or maybe two negative tests, two consecutive negative tests, then you're cleared to go back. And, you know, we're still practicing social distancing, you know, still practicing having your mask. All of that is still in play. So I would be more um, open to that than to, okay, we're going to start opening, opening this thing back up. Um, I do believe they do. They do still want you to practice social distancing. But again, human nature is going to kick in. You know, um, even now, I still see people out who do not have any do not have a mask on. So you're always going to have people who don't necessarily follow the guidelines 100%. That's why as leaders, you have to be able to make the decision, to make an informed decision. And and, and that entails 
sometimes you have to go against what what the popular decision or what people may want you to do. You may have to go against that for the greater good. And that's what being a leader is. And I just see lack of leadership across the board in this thing from the top down. And uh, for Florida, the task force that's in charge of making these types of decisions are 80 to 90 percent politicians. Huh? How does that compute? I don't get that. You have probably 80 percent, 80 to 80, 80 to 90 percent of the task force made up of politicians. They have one representative from the education field and they have one representative from the medical field that makes up the Florida task force for the coronavirus who's going to decide when we should open the economy back up. That's who um, DeSantis has um, his counsel for that. And that's uh, that's disproportionate because I would think you want more people on the medical side of things that can advise you and give you a better understanding and appreciation for what's going on and for what the way ahead should look like and what we should be prepared for. So I just can't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm not understanding it. This to me is very irresponsible to try to go ahead as early as Friday to open stuff back up. Now I'm looking a mess. My hair is jacked, but even if the barbershop was open tomorrow, you wouldn't find me in there because I value my health more than that. Um, I have a greater, a greater appreciation for what's going on than to do that. Um, for me, I am going to be looking at what those CDC guidelines are. And the, the, the number one thing that I'll be paying attention to is to look and see if we have a consecutive trend of decreasing cases for a two week period. That's what I'll be looking for. And until then, you definitely won't see me in any place other than an essential place like the uh, a grocery store. That's it. So that's the only thing that I can think of because I feel like anything else is just is just, just reckless, to be honest. Um, because you got to look at and look at how many lives have been lost to this thing. 
Um, I was reading where it was saying there there was a uh, the when the flu was going around so bad, and it was like one of the worst cases of the flu um, ever recorded. And so people, they were just kind of starting to come out in one town. I forget where it was. They wanted to do a parade. And instead of counseling, canceling the parade, they said, no, okay, fine. We'll just have the parade. Everybody can come. It's fine. And then they had a big resurgence of the flu. And wiped out a lot of people which could have been avoided could have been avoided so I'm always looking at the the risk reward and um, I'm prior military so I always rely on situations or rely on what I was taught being in the military And before we do something, we always conduct a risk assessment. And your risk assessment tells you if you if you can mitigate the factors and get it down low enough to where, okay, these are acceptable uh, risks to to do this task. And then once you get it down low enough to where the risks are are very minimum, then you go ahead and you can do it. Well, I don't think that we're even close to anything like that to open up the economy. Not even close because you got to weigh you're, you you're weighing people's lives here. You know, this is what it could come down to. It could cost somebody their life. And so you always have to err on the side of caution. And so I would definitely not try to open things back up. I said in my last podcast, I would not do it until maybe the end of May, beginning of June. This is the earliest that I would do it. And I have seen where they they're trying to do it in phases and I can appreciate that, but it's not even time to start moving in phases right now. Um, we first need to have a steady decline in cases. Then not only that, we have to arm ourselves with a hefty supply of test kits. So that especially people who are going to be coming in contact with a large amount of people can get tested. And to make sure, okay, yeah, you're clear. Um, Go ahead. And and that may look like two consecutive tests. I don't know. Don't have all the answers, but I do know this is not the way. I am for sure on that one. Um, It's just. The risk is for me right now, the risk is too great. And I and they left it up to individual states. So you have flexibility. 
you know, during that time frame, you do have some flexibility with that. And so I would definitely lean on that, lean hard on that and um, talk to your representatives and everything because, man, this is, this to me, is there's no way. It's not worth it. Um, we, we need to, as a matter of fact, contingency planning. I mentioned that as well. Uh, well, contingency planning and situational awareness. So we need to ex- 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 exercise some great situational awareness in this thing and to go ahead and to get prepared for a resurgence. That's what we need to go ahead and prepare for right off rip. We need to be prepared for that either way. But until we are prepared, there's no way we should open up the economy. There's no way. So that's my take on it. Um, I'm, I, I'm going to take a stab and say places that are hit hardest, like New York, um, other places who've been tagged pretty hard or who seem to have taken on the brunt of the onset of this thing. I'm fairly sure they will be more cautious. I'm fairly sure they will take a, 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 a rational approach to this thing. You know, and so I think that that would leave me. I think it's appropriate to lead into to leave you with that. And we'll go into this next break um, by a New York native. So stay tuned. We'll come back with the second half of the Chill Will Potluck show here on Hawk Radio right after this. Right next to the narrow, but I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra, and since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop in Harlem, all of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway. Pull me back to that McDonald's, took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off white Lexus, driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out there, bed stop, home of that boy Biggie. Now I live on Billboard, and I bought my boys with me, say what up to Tata, still sipping my top, sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five, nigga I be spiked out, I could trip a referee, tell by my attitude that I most definitely from OG 
at a Yankee game Shit, I made the Yankee hat more famous than the Yankee king You should know I bleed blue, but I ain't a crypto But I got a gang of niggas walking with my click though Welcome to the melting pot, corners where we selling rock Africa been by the shit, home of the hip-hop Yellow cap, gypsy cap, dollar cap, holla back For foreigners it ain't fair, they act like they forgot how to act Eight million stories, out there in the naked City, it's a pity, half of y'all won't make it Me, I got a plug, special where I got it made If Jesus paying LeBron, I'm paying Dwayne Way. Three dice, Zelo, three card Marley Labor Day Parade, rest in peace, Bob Marley Statue of Liberty, long live the world trade Long live the king, yo, I'm from the Empire State That's Blinding, girls need blinders, or they could step out of bounds quick. The sidelines is lined with casualties who sip the life casually, then gradually become worse. Don't fight the apple eve, caught up in the in crowd. Now you're in style, and in the winter gets cold. In vogue with your skin out. City of sin, it's a pity on a whim. Good girls going bad, the city's filled with them. Mommy took a bus trip, now she got a bust out. Everybody ride her, just like a bus route. Hell Mary to the city, you're a virgin. And Jesus can't save you, life starts when the church in Came here for school, graduated to the high life Ball players, rap stars, addicted to the limelight Empty in May, got you feeling like a champion The city never sleeps, better slip you an ambient Welcome back to the Chill Will Park Luck Show on Hawk Radio. You were just listening to Empire State of Mind with Jay-Z featuring Alicia Keys. So, transition to the next topic. And I kind of like like this topic, actually. It's interesting. And it's Joe Biden versus President Trump. Who you got? Do you think Joe got a shot? Well, I think so. And we're going to break down some of the reasons why I believe he has a great opportunity to um, dethrone 
the wannabe dictator, President Trump. So, for one thing, during this uh, virus, I think has definitely exposed President Trump that, you know, he is definitely out of his element uh, holding office. Uh, my personal opinion, he never was really qualified to hold the office. He never has never and it is not even capable of holding the office with the respect and the esteem and the leadership that you need to have to be in that office. So um, I think with the way he's handled things has really exposed him. I feel like a lot of people have come to realize that, nah, this is just not what I thought it was going to be. Now, I am not naive to the fact that he has his diehard supporters, which is his base. Um, and there's no getting around the fact that they will follow him no matter what, no matter what they're just, they're going to support him. And that's just the way, that's just the reality of it. You know, you have people, they can look past all of the blatant stuff that's staring you in the eye. They can look straight past it and deflect and throw up all of his little smoke screens and recite and regurgitate all his excuses and his lies and take it as gospel. That's what they do. But so I think, though, on the average, I think you will see more people kind of like, well, we tried it didn't work. Let's try something else. So there's always that. And I do think Joe has some good stuff. You know, he has a good platform that he's running on. He has um, some great ideas for the economy, um, for trying to um, lead the way into the uh, the next four years as if it, you know, if you will. But the, one of the biggest things that's going against Joe is he's old. You know, and there's no getting around that. Joe is 77 years old. And so um, he even and But the thing about it is, you know, he realizes that, you know, he made a statement um, about picking his vice president. That's very telling. Because he's he wants he said he wanted someone that would be ready to lead in a moment's notice. And that's the reason why, you know, because, you know, that's the factor, you know, he's 77. So he may not make it through a full term. You know, so and I think, you know, that's going to be a very interesting pick for him. And it's also going to have a lot of uh, weight into getting swing voters as well. 
Um, now he, in the past, he said he was committed to trying to find a, uh, a woman, you know, he said he, he was really wanted to try to find a qualified woman to be vice president and kudos to him. Um, I really, uh, really, really admire that. And I think it's long overdue. Um, I think really and truly, um, I think it's about time that we have a woman president. And see what that's like, because God knows it can't be no worse than what we got right now. So I think, though, with um, with his uh, this next phase of the campaign is definitely going to play out for the next couple months. Uh, you have suspicions who's who's he's going to pick. Um the candidates out there and stuff, you know, um, of course, everyone wants to throw the incomparable Mrs. Michelle Obama into the mix. And um, Joe said, without a doubt, you know, he'd take her in a heartbeat. But he also said that he didn't think that she would have any interest and living in in or near the White House again. So, although that's a great, I guess you could say a great dream pick, it's just not realistic. So, then you go down the list. And I've heard names thrown out, out like Elizabeth Warren, who's very smart, who gets it, um, who did, had a very um, good showing in her her bid, um, you have Camilla Harris is out there that he's worked with in the past. Um, so you have I've even heard uh, uh, Miss Cortez out there in the mix. Um, so you just never know. But I think it's going to be very, very, very interesting. Um, I also heard Miss Stacey Abrams um, thrown in the mix. And, you know, she ran for the governor of uh, Georgia and lost or I would say that that election was pretty much stolen from her, in my opinion. But that's another debate for another day. But um, you have her. She could be thrown in the mix as well. So it's a very um, invigorating, exciting time. Um, for the Democratic Party right now. I really do think his chances are excellent to taking down Trump. Um, they're excellent, but it's still going to be hard. Don't get it twisted. Because like I said, Trump's base will follow him anywhere and everywhere. It doesn't even matter. And they're just going to support him no matter what. So you have that. And trying to overcome that is going to be hard. Then you have the Bernie effect. And what I mean by the Bernie effect, um, how many of Bernie Sanders supporters will get behind and rally behind Joe Biden? That's going to be a big X factor. 
Um, even though he came out and gave Hillary his support when she was running, his supporters never really got on fully on board to support her. So um, that campaign fell on deaf ears. Um, so now while I do think Joe is a better candidate and a better choice and has a, a more of a reputable um, reputation and, and can stand, uh, I say, and has more integrity than than um, Hillary had. It's still going to be hard, I feel like, for the Bernie supporters to get behind Joe Biden. So unless Bernie can rally the troops to get behind him and, you know, and have the attitude that we need Trump out at all costs, that's the only way. That's the only way is if we can have more people who have the mindset that Trump has to go. And this is, you know, and then, of course, with the electoral college, it's a tricky, um, tricky minefield, a minefield battlefield out there that you have to navigate through. Um, you got to have take certain swing states and, you know, this, that and the third. So I'm pretty sure they already have a strategy mapping out a strategy for that um, as we speak. But I do believe he has a good chance to um, defeat Donald Trump. And yes, he has my vote. Not even close. OK, so. Transitioning from the politics, from political into something else that's kind of disturbing. And it, it I, I'm really touched my heart because I really feel for those people. And that's our elderly. You know, it's it's already a you're already in, I would say, kind of a different um uh, mindset maybe or I, I i don't know but when you get to a certain age and you have to make a transition from taking care of yourself to needing assistance and taking care of yourself and you are placed in a facility and you rely on the facility to help you with the care and upkeep of yourself. Then for this virus to hit and really just take down a lot of elderly assisted living facilities is like, wow. I mean, they have been ravaged by this virus. And oh yeah, um, there's no joke when the elderly gets this virus. So it is very concerning and disturbing to learn that, especially across the country, but, um, in Florida, it is a big issue right now with, um, elder, uh, the elderly care assisted living facilities being just. Um, the infection infectious rate of the elderly there just getting the virus and stuff is is, is alarming. 
and so much so now and they they were already working with a short staff and so now it's to the point where they are actually allowing workers who have tested positive for COVID-19 to come to work and to continue to care for the elderly. Yes, you heard me right. They are allowing them to come to work even though they have the virus. They're that short of staff. Now, I am of the mindset that's a little bit too extreme for me. Um, I, I don't know. I would have to try to say maybe we go to a 12 hour rotation, uh, maybe a little longer rotation, something. But um, I just can't foresee or let the uh, the people, the staff come in that already got it. And if God forbid something happened and they get exposed, you know what it does to the elderly. So I, I just wouldn't be able to do that one. Um, I look at maybe recalling retired people back, try to give them some incentive to come back and help. Um, did, uh, lean on, you know, the top leadership for some help, some extra bodies or something. But I don't think that's the way to go. I really don't. And I'm hoping that um that this gets rectified and looked into and you know we can find they can find a solution for it because I mean if to to put my to try to put myself in someone's position if they have a parent that's in one of those facilities it's it's it has to be nerve wracking. It has to be like just crazy and there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. So I definitely hope that's something that they can get under control and you know and I I'm definitely praying for them definitely so um which leads me into back to the topic in the first half how can you try to reopen an, uh, an economy when you still have outbreaks like this going on that has to be addressed and not only do you have outbreaks such as this, um, you have people of color who are definitely more susceptible to this virus. So if you open the government back and, you know, people are expecting them to come back to work. What are you saying? How does that compute to them? What are you saying for them? What does that mean for them? I don't understand it. Um, I saw one um, a post where someone was questioning, okay, um, could this be a ploy or could this be like a numbers game to where we're trying to weed um, more African-Americans out because they lean more democratic. This is an election year. So, can we kind of just weed them out? Tip the scales back into Trump's favor? Hmm. I don't know. Is I mean, could be. You know, you never, you never, the thing is, you never know. Now, 
for me personally, I think that's a stretch. <laughs> I think that's a little out there, but hey, it's interesting. It's, you know, you never take anything off the table. You know, all options are on the table. So it's just one of those things where it could be, you know, you never know. So um, I definitely hope that they give this some more thought. They about reopening the government. I definitely hope that they find a resolution for the elderly in the um, nursing homes and stuff. Assisted living facilities. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they can find a remedy for that as well. Now, I would like to kind of digress a moment. Um, talk about something um, that actually I was talking um, on a personal note with my son. Um, he was reading the book autobiography of Malcolm X. And you know, kind of propelled him to want to be, uh, take more of an active role into, um, getting equality for everyone and everything like that. But my question is for black males, how, how, how can you be militant, but Respectful in the same breath, if you will, because, you know, there's a a, a stigma for black men anyway. And the minute that we want to assert our rights or the minute that we want to stand up for ourselves, we are always tagged with being militant, with um, being too aggressive with not wanting to follow the rules where if it's anybody else it's fine but if a black man does it then all of a sudden he has this label placed upon him and that's just not fair and you know i would say for um the a lot of the or i would say too rather a lot of black young men out there to be careful. That's what I tell my son all the time. Be careful. Because you already have a, a strike against you and a target on your back on your back. So you have to be careful and select your words carefully. It's not always right, it's not always fair, but when you're trying to survive. That's what it is. It is what it is. And so I always challenge my young black males to be smart. You have to be smarter than that. You have to pick your pick your uh, your battles, pick your battles wisely. Um, and so I would say, what are you doing to improve your situation and not only your situation, but what are you doing to improve the situation for everybody else? You know, what are you doing to inspire someone else? So that's what I would challenge you with. And that's, you know, kind of like what I want to leave this thought. 
How can I change this world for the better and uplift someone to make this better, to make this a better place? Think about challenge yourself how you can do that and then do it. And that's with anything. You know, this is this is all about how you think. How do you see the world? What is your um, your world view? So I would say think about those things and I challenge you to become a leader and to try to uplift someone else, uplift the next person. So think about it. We'll be back. Closing remarks up next on the Chill Wheel Potluck Show on Hawk Radio.
Welcome back. That was Bob Marley with Buffalo Soldier. This actually reminds me of a question my son asked me. He said, Dad, how could you serve a country that has oppressed people of color? The answer is, I told him, is because I fought to make the world, I, I fought to make these words true. All men are created equal. That we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I wholeheartedly believe that. And so I saw it as some things worth fighting for. I took a look around and inside of myself and said that I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, bolder than myself. And so this country isn't perfect. And so it is all of our duties to make to make the, the principles that this country stands for, we have to ensure that those principles are being followed and applied. And so that falls on each and every person. And so I challenge you to when you see something that is wrong, speak up, try to fix it. What can you do? You see, it is all of our responsibility to continue to improve upon this country. And to even when a wrong has occurred that doesn't want to be acknowledged, we have to call it out. It is our duty. So that is why I chose to serve this country. And make no mistake. Even with all of her flaws, all of the the ugly, there is a great amount of good as well. There is still, in my opinion, no better country out there than the United States of America. We generally, in the face of adversity, have a great way of uniting to face it and to get through it. And so I urge everyone to stay positive, 
do your part, stay home, stay safe. I will leave you with parting words from Malcolm X, who says, the future belongs to those who prepare for it today. How are you preparing for the future? What does the future hold for you? What do you want your future to be? I would urge you to think about those questions, ponder those questions, and when you come up with an answer, that's not the end of it. That's actually only the beginning. So I would urge you, urge you to write the answers down, start formulating a plan, and to put the plan in action. So this has been a great time spent. Hope you'll tune in next week when we'll do it all over again. This has been the chill. This is Chill Will on the Chill Will Potluck Show. Saying stay safe. Stay strong. Stay motivated. And until we meet again. Take care.